I like that song. I like the feel of it. I like the vibe of it. I like the words to it. I like the ending of it where it says, um, life hurts. But, you know, hang in there because someday Jesus is coming back and he's going to take me home. But, you know, I also don't like that song. Uh, I, I like what's there, but I don't like what's missing. You know, because it kind of sounds simplistic. kind of sounds like, you know something, uh, you know, all of us are lonely, all of us struggle, all of us have our problems, but if you just suck it up until Jesus comes back, then he takes us home. And as much as that's something I personally believe in, I think is a part of learning how to handle pain in a world in which everybody hurts. There is so much more that I think God wants us to understand. Now, in the defense of Jars of Clay, who did the song, you can't pack everything into a song. I can't even pack everything into one sermon. So we're going to do a whole series because we're going to begin to unpack some of the issues that come up because when you go through the types of things you see in that song that you saw on that video, you realize that there's a lot of questions that raises. When we hurt, and everybody does hurt, it causes us, it causes me at least, to ask questions of life, like, you know, what caused this? Did God cause this, or did I, or did someone else? It causes questions where we ask of God, like, okay, God, then why? Or if we don't ask why, we ask why not, because there was another way you could have done this. We ask questions of ourselves, we'd ask questions of God, we ask questions like, hopefully, like, so what is there to take away from this? What can I learn from this? Or better yet, even as the video ended, we asked the question, is there really an upside to the downsides of life? In other words, are there really positives that can be taken away from negative experiences? In other words, can God actually take pain and use it, even if he hates it, use it as our friend? Use it as something in our life that he, that he redeems for good, that he brings good from it, that he can birth something good from even the evil and the painful side of life. Everybody Hurts is a series in which we are going to explore why I really do believe, and you could probably guess this or I wouldn't be teaching on it, that there really is an upside to the downside. There really is a purpose to pain. That There really is a, a way in which God specializes, not in necessarily the removal of pain, because I haven't seen that in my life at least, but yet in the management of pain and, and the growth that he wants to come from it, the things he wants to produce from it, that there really is an upside or a reason for pain. Today we're going to get started by looking at the big picture. We're going to look at the reality of pain first. And we're going to look in Scripture to see what does the Bible predict life will be like. All right, let's get a true biblical view of life. And then after the reality, we're going to look at some of the roots of pain. In other words, so if, if pain is a reality, and it is, or else we wouldn't entitle it, everybody hurts, okay, that's kind of a clueless title without that. If the reality is everybody hurts, then what are some of the roots of pain? Where does it come from? What produces it? You know, should we really be so simplistic as to say, oh, well, I guess that's God's will, meaning 
sometimes by that, maybe God wanted that, or God desired that, or God caused that. I mean, let's clear up our fuzziness concerning the roots of pain. And then we're going to just begin this morning to get started on the third section, which is what are some of the remedies? What are some of the things that can help us learn to manage pain and actually uh, see God redeem it and bring something good from it? So that's where we're headed today. So get your Bibles out. There's an outline you'll need to take some notes. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Every single week here at Seacoast, we like to go deep in God's Word. So even though this is a topical series, every week we'll take you to a different place in Scripture and we'll go deep in that passage. Today we're going to look at what is perhaps my favorite passage on this topic, which is Romans chapter 8, picking it up in verse 18. So pray with me as we go there. Father God, I pray that you take your word today uh, and do through it, like we ask every week, that you do through it what I cannot do. This is not about listening to Dale. It's not about listening to Ryan. It's not about listening to us as teachers. This is about listening to you. It's about getting your perspective, not ours. Learning to think like you think, to see life as it really is, and then to be able to process the pain in our life the way you want us to process it. So that's my prayer, Father. Teach us about the upside of the downside of life in Christ's name. Amen. Listen to the word of God, Romans chapter 8. I want to pick it up in verse 18. Verse 18 says this, and the context is the context of suffering. In fact, you'll see up in verse 16, it says, And the Spirit himself testifies in our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Doesn't that sound great? And then he says this, If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So the context is that we will at times suffer like Christ suffered. And in that context, then, he gives us this truth, beginning in verse 18. He says, for I consider, this is how I think, it means this is how I contemplate about pain. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For or because the anxious longing of creation, talking about the world, it waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In other words, creation didn't do anything to ask for it or deserve it. It was man, when man sinned, this was part of the curse following the sin of man in Genesis chapter 3, if you want to read the background. And he says, creation was subjected to to, uh, to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself also will be, here's a promise, will be set free someday from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, okay, the whole planet, that the whole creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of like childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, okay, as Christians, as followers of Christ, not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we have life in Christ. We have the Spirit of God living in us. He calls that the very first fruits, the first 
things that God provides for us. He says, we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, that is, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope, hope that is seen is not hope. For who, he who hopes for what he already, who, who hopes for what he already sees? In other words, if you already have it, you don't hope for it, right? In other words, the very essence of hope is it's faced, it's focused on the future. It's focused on someday having what you don't currently have. So in hope, we have been saved, but that hope is, is, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has already sees? But, If we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now, this passage, when you just read it like that, is confusing. I mean, if you're ready to go home now, you say, I got it, Dale, thanks. Now I understand suffering. Now I understand pain. The reality is you didn't really follow me because this is one tough passage. But I want to try to unpack it for you, and I want to do it in several ways. First, I want to show you some of the key words in the passage that indicate the reality of what it means to live on planet Earth at this time in history. And here are the words. Let me just show them to you on the screen. Words like suffering. There's actually nine or ten of them. Uh, Anxious longing. uh, Waits eagerly. uh, Subjected to futility. It has slavery to corruption. Creation and we also groan, suffer, experience pain uh, to the extent to which we also groan with creation. And in fact, it gets so bad at times in the next few verses that we don't even know how to pray as we should. Look at verse 26. For in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not even know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes or prays for us with groanings too deep for words. In other words, that there's times in our life where you're going to experience pain in, to such a level, and just leave that list up and I want to talk about it for a minute, to such a level that you don't even know what to pray. You don't even know how to ask God to fix it. That's how bad we will hurt at times. Everybody hurts. Now these phrases are kind of interesting. If you want to take a few notes or make some observations with me, here, here's the different kinds of pain. The word suffering seems to be the all-inclusive package of everything included in one. It's the general word for pain and suffering and affliction in life. And then he uses the next four are very interesting. Anxious longing. Now what, what is that? That's the pain of unfulfilled dreams. When you have anxious longing. You are worried, you're anxious, and you, you long for something. It's a Greek word that, that is kind of interesting. It actually means to, it, to stretch the neck, like you're trying to look around the corner, you're trying to look over the horizon to see something you can't quite get a hold of yet. So the idea is sometimes in our lives we have, we have dreams, we have desires that we long for, and, and they're anxious longings because they're not coming true. Unfulfilled dreams. Sometimes we wait eagerly. He says, we like creation are waiting eagerly. That's what I call the pain of not now. Sometimes we have the pain of just not now or not yet. And we plead with God, we ask with God, we pray about something, and God isn't answering. He's not fixing it. So the best we have is this, we wait eagerly. But that's the pain of not now. 
subjected to futility. He says all of creation was subjected to futility, and we ourselves also later. What's that mean? When you picture creation subjected to futility, I call that the pain of nothing seems to work. You know, when you feel it's futile. What, what is it? When it's futile means you've been trying and trying and trying, and nothing seems to fix it. And so sometimes there's that pain in our life where something's going on and we do our best that we can do and it just doesn't get better. You know, we can't seem to fix it. It's the pain of futility. You have the pain of slavery to corruption. That's the idea. Remember when you when you talk about computers these days even, we talk about a, a hard drive. If a hard drive is corrupted, you're in bad shape, Right? If you've got a corrupted hard drive, it means there's like a, you know, a viral disease or whatever that's gotten into that puppy and it is dead. It is gone. It's not going to be fixed. You know, so, but you know, the idea of corruption and evil, it, it's, part of the, it's part of the world in which we live. And, and there's that type of pain. And even the word slavery, what's that indicate? You know, we, we live in a world in which we feel enslaved by the world and corruption. You know, it's a picture of not having the freedom to fix it or change it. You know, you're trapped. You feel like you're trapped by something. So even those four phrases, anxious longing, waits eagerly, subjected to futility, experiences the slavery to corruption, those are rich words, but they are painful words. And they indicate all kinds of different types of things that bring me pain and bring you pain. The next three words or next four words are kind of the result that comes out of that. We groan within ourselves, okay? We suffer, we have pain. We ourselves, like creation, groan and we don't know how to pray even. So what we're dealing with is this, that we are living at a time and a period in which we are living between what Jesus did on the cross, which, was, which, is, a, which is sufficient for our total redemption. What Jesus did on the cross will someday fix everything, okay? Someday it'll fix everything. It saves our soul. It forgives our sins. It gives us a new life in Christ to live and be who God wants us to be. And those are all things that you and I are experiencing today if you put your faith in Christ. But, and the big however of this passage, okay, uh, is this. It says, but our bodies are not yet redeemed. Now, there's the promise that someday after we die, when Jesus returns, there'll be what's called the resurrection of the body, in which even our bodies will be resurrected new and, 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 and transformed to be like the body of Jesus Christ post-resurrection. So it'll be an amazing, glorious body for our glorious soul to live in forever and ever on a new, glorious, new heaven, new earth, totally fixed and pain-free. That's our future reality. But the present reality is not that. That's not where we're living. The soul, the spiritual life, yes. The bodily resurrection life, yet to come. The transformation of the planet on which we live, yet to come. So we're living between present reality and future reality. In fact, I've given you a little chart, and here's the key phrases. The reality present is we have anxious longing. We wish this thing was different. But it's not. Future reality is the revealing of the sons of God. We live in this period in which we feel sl in the, the slavery to the corruption of sin and, and, and we live on a fallen planet. And I'll explain this to you in a minute. The future reality is we're going to be free from all of that. We live, most importantly, verse 22, at a time of pain, 
The future is a time of gain. In fact, he uses an analogy, and it's the birth of a baby. He says the time that we're living in right now is very much like the experience of a woman who is giving birth to a child. She is in, she is in labor. So we're living during the labor period of a nine-month pregnancy. Now, labor is not too long, out of nine months, right? Okay. Now, I've given birth three times. I know how it feels to birth a baby. Okay, I know how it feels to push that baby out and the agony that's involved. I've been there (laughs) in the room three times. Yeah, I've been there in the room. I'm glad Becky's not here to hear this. Okay, I'll change it second service. Don't you talk to her. So the reality is this, though. See, but I have been with my wife through three labors. And uh, by God's grace, uh, she delivered natural childbirth three times, no anesthesia. Okay, none of the fancy blocking techniques, blah, blah, blah. By the way, I think those are a gift from God, too. Use them if you want. But, but the reality is that, that I just want you to have a picture of my wife, okay? In fact, I found a better way. I actually have a picture of my wife. I have a picture of her after our first child, Beth, was born, after 17 hours of labor, followed by two hours when they said, now you can push. Two hours of pushing after 17 hours of labor, I'll show you what Becky looked like. You think I'm going to do that? I don't want the pain of doing that, so I'm not going to show you that picture. That picture's private. Becky would kill me if I released that. But it was not a pretty sight. Now, she's a pretty sight, but it was not a pretty sight. I've got to be very careful how I word this, okay? But you know something else? Just moments later, there's another picture. Picture of Becky holding that little baby. And she's smiling. She's smiling on the backside of all that pain. Why? Because of the baby. Now, here's the deal. Jesus says that if you want to understand life, the period of time we're living in right now is hard labor. But the baby's coming. And we need to approach our pain that way. We need to understand that that is God's perspective on life right now. And God doesn't have any joy in the labor. God never, in fact, it's interesting. If you go back to Genesis 3, do you realize that women were designed to, to have babies free of pain? Okay, uh, the, you know, the pain of childbirth was a result of sin. Now, I don't know how God was going to pull that off, but somehow... It's the painful side of childbirth was one of the negative results of man's sin. But right now, you need to picture life this way. What's the point? In verse 24, he says it this way. Look at verse 24 again. He says, for we hope, in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees or has? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, do not yet have, then with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. The point is this. Freedom from pain is coming. But don't expect it now. We're living at a time in which God wants us to learn the art of perseverance. How do you persevere when life is not easy? That's what we're going to be talking about, not just today, but for the next four or five weeks. Now, 
Let's get started. Okay, if we're going to get started, I think one thing that helps us is to glean from this passage what are the roots or common causes of pain. Because I think, again, as Christians, we have a very shallow understanding sometimes of the roots of pain. Now, when I look at Scripture, let me give you a very quick little statement that you can record and and, and memorize. It's this. When you hurt, you need to realize that we live on a fallen planet. Okay, we live on a fallen planet, in a fallen body. We live among fallen people with an enemy who hates us and a God who loves us deeply. Now, I think this is kind of my summary of your life. Okay, let's let's read it together out loud. Can you read it? We live on a fallen planet, in a fallen body, among a fallen people with an enemy who hates us and a God who loves us deeply. And I think this is part of building a theology of pain. Let me break them down. We'll leave it up while I break it down. Okay? First, you live on a fallen planet. Genesis 3 says that when man sinned, and whether God should have or shouldn't have is not for me to discuss, but God says, here's the deal. The curse of sin will affect not only you, but the planet. And by the way, the good news is someday God's going to fix the planet. See, some people have the erroneous idea you're going to spend, if you're a Christian, that you are promised eternity floating in the clouds in heaven. Not true. Our eternal state is described in Revelation 21, 22. And and in those chapters, it very clearly says God actually is going to eventually do away with heaven and do away with earth, meaning he's going to recreate them. He's going to recreate a new heaven, new earth, in which we will dwell with him forever and ever. And it says there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears, boom, 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 boom. So that's your eternal state. It's not just floating in some clouds. It's an eternity in a redeemed, with a redeemed soul living in a redeemed, new, resurrected body on a redeemed planet. I just got back from... Um, Six days in the wilderness of West Virginia in one of the prettiest spots you could ever imagine, trout fishing with some of my family two weeks ago. I believe that very well that there's a very good case that I will be able to go there in my new body someday and perhaps meet up with old friends and trout fish the Cranberry River. And it'll have more fish than you could ever imagine. And they never say no to my bait. Isn't that so cool, huh? Maybe they say no a little bit just to keep it interesting. I don't know how God's going to work that out. But the reality is that's that's the deal. You know, Jesus met with his disciples in his resurrected body. He built a campfire. He sat. He had a meal with them. See, heaven is not just one big sing fest. As much as I think we will sing to Jesus, worship Jesus around the throne of God, you know, something. it is not an eternal church service. And some of you should say amen. Yeah, okay, it's not that. It's not that. It's way more than that. We're gonna, but right now we live on a fallen planet. So you should say, well, why would God let a tornado rip through more Oklahoma? Because it's a fallen planet. Why do tsunamis happen? Why do we in California feel that happen occasionally? Why does the earth shake underneath us? We live on a fallen planet. And therefore at times it hurts. And that alone is the source of a lot of pain. Secondly, we live in fallen bodies. Okay, we live in bodies that this Romans chapter 8 very very clearly says, and we know that the whole of creation groans and suffers pain like childbirth together until now. And then verse 23, look at it. And not only this, but we ourselves... 
we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's really cool. We have life in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Even we ourselves, though, groan. Why do we groan? We groan awaiting the adoption of sons that is the redemption of our bodies. It'd be great for my body to be redeemed. Okay, then my knees wouldn't hurt when I go up the stairs. My hair wouldn't be falling out or else maybe all of it would fall out because I wouldn't need it to hide this beautiful head. I don't know. Okay, one way or the other, it's going to be, everyone's even, yeah, I don't know. But the reality is, you know, our bodies hurt. Our bodies get sick. Disease happens. We age because we live in fallen bodies and that alone is a cause of pain. We live among fallen people. Now, the reality is we live in a world surrounded by you. So we've got to put up with you. You've got to put up with me. And we're all sinful. And when you realize you live surrounded by sinful people, and, and you live in a world in which God has given each of those sinful people a, a moral choice to do good or to do evil. Now, there's a mystery to this. And we'll come to this in a minute because there is a God who loves us and there is a God who is sovereign. But in his sovereignty, God has chosen for this period of time to involve a lot of moral freedom for a lot of bad people. A lot of pain is caused person to person. And when it happens, don't say, God, why did you do this? God didn't do this. They did this. He or she did this. So you need to realize that a lot of pain comes from the pain we cause one another. It's interesting, this did make me stop and think a little bit about how God sees pain. Can I use the uh, recent tornado and the tragedy in Moore, Oklahoma, or any of the other twisters that have gone through that part of the Midwest recently? Let me ask you this. What's the most common thing you hear on the news from all the survivors of a tragedy like an earthquake or a tornado? What's the most common thing when they interview the survivors? I don't think that's the most common comment. I, that's, a, that's a common experience as they're suffering in pain, but what's the most common thing they'll say to the news? Thank God I'm alive. Thank God my family's alive. Sometimes they even throw in the dog. I don't think the dog matters. But anyway, they throw in the dog, the cat's alive. You know, you know, sorry about that, dog lovers. But you know, the reality is this. I'm a dog lover too. But you know, usually they they it does have the effect of reducing life to what matters, right? Okay. The the most common thing you hear is, you know something, we can rebuild. It's just a house. It's just stuff. But the important things in life are here. And, I, and it, boy, what a wake-up call to value what's most important and to not worry about what's not. You know, and it just makes me realize, and I, and I don't share this to make light of the pain of the, um, of the 40, 50 people who lost a loved one. They have the pain of grief, of death, of a, of a friend, a child, a mom, a dad. So I don't make light of that. But I want you to see that as God looks at all the pain going on, here's what I see. It wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't imagine that the day before that tornado, God is seeing every bit of relational pain in Moore, Oklahoma. In fact, he's seen all the relational pain in your life and my life and how we don't value our loved ones enough and, 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 and how we don't take time to love them enough and we value our stuff more than we should. And, and, you know, and God sees all of that pain. And then, and then a tragedy hits 
and God does see the pain directly linked to the tragedy, you know what else he sees? He sees a whole bunch of people that weren't hugging and loving each other the day before the incident, but now they are. So God sees all the different types of pain I've been talking about. And sometimes it's one of the ways in which God will take a tragedy. And, and it could be if there's a pain meter, could it possibly even be that the day before the tornado there was more pain in more Oklahoma than the day afterwards? Different type of pain. But maybe the overall pain went down because you had about 100,000 people saying, you know something? As long as we have each other, that's what matters. And I'm sorry I've neglected you. And you know how much pain neglect in a family or marriage causes? See, so what I'm pointing out is this. Pain is very complex. And, and we, have a, we have a loving God who loves us. That's the final line. But we live among fallen people. That's a source of pain. We have an enemy who hates us. There is a spiritual dimension to pain. We see it in the story of Job when Satan attacks Job. Now, he does it because a God who loves Job deeply allowed it. So that comes into the formula, doesn't it? But yet, we, there is a spiritual enemy who loves to cause pain, death, destruction. So you have a spiritual realm to pain that sometimes is behind what's going on in our lives. And we don't know for sure, but you know, all of these are the different sources of pain. And by the way, when I say we live on a fallen planet among fallen people, let me make one point. Include yourself under that. Write your name under that, okay? Because Dale is a fallen person. Now, I'm redeemed by Christ, but I still have a sinful nature I've got to deal with. And the reality is I still sin, and my own sin is the cause of a good percentage of my pain. So when you look at the big picture, and then you realize, wow, we have a God who loves us deeply. Then we begin to realize that pain is more complex than we often think of it. Sometimes very flippantly I hear people say, well, we know that in the midst of all the pain, God is sovereign, God is in control. And even that statement, if we don't stop and think about that as Christians, that statement can be a truth which can teach an untruth. It can be a truth that gives us the wrong image of God. I believe God's sovereignty means that God is indeed ultimately in control. He can take history wherever he wants it. He can stop whatever he chooses. In other words, he is filtering what comes into our life. But let me say it this way. I think God is always in control, but not always controlling. I'll play with that a little bit. God is always in control, but God is not always controlling. God is not controlling the rapist when he rapes that innocent girl because God is never the author of sin, okay? God, God is not always saying, you know something, um, I think that I want you to catch that germ, you know? So let's bring a little virus over here, you know, and zap it into you. I mean, in other words, God is not, you know, God, when I read Scripture, God hates pain. In fact, we're going to see it. He uses it, but he also hates pain and suffering. The reason I know that is he's going to do away with it when he does the new heaven and the new earth, so he must not like it. But we're living in this period of time in which God is in control, but yet God is not always controlling us or, or others. There is a lot of freedom that God has sovereignly given to creation. Now, if you ask me to really unpack the details of that in every single situation, I can't do it. 
And that's because God is God, I'm not. And there's a lot of mystery as to, okay, what's up right now? And a lot of times when I say, so what's up? Is this, you know, is this God allowing this? God causing this? Is this satanic? Is this not? Is this this? You know, the reality is I can't answer that. So my response to my pain isn't to always understand it. If my goal is, God, if you don't let me understand everything about this painful situation, I'm not going to like you, then you might as well give up on God today because he's not going to do that. Job is another example of that. Job never got the explanation he asked for. God never explained to Job why he was doing it. Now, we know why he was doing it, and we actually profit from the story of Job, don't we? So God had us in mind when he allowed Satan to do that stuff with Job, but God never told Job the answer why. Instead, God's answer was, you know, Job, where were you when I created the universe? Ever think about that? In other words, Job, I'm God, you're not. Trust me. Trust me. Which leads to the final point I want to just introduce, and we won't have time to unpack it in detail, but I want to give you the paradigm, and that's this. When I look at even this chapter of Scripture, and I say, okay, Dale, so can you give me a little help with processing pain? I understand the reality. I can't avoid it. Everybody hurts. I understand the roots are complex. All these things cause pain. It's not always just God doing it. You know, then... What are the remedies? What helps me process pain in a way that's healthy? And here it is. Here it is. Number one, a firm faith. And it's it's taught in verse 28, the very next verse from where we read. Look at verse 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, that's that's a promise. The promise is that God has a purpose and he can bring good from our suffering or pain. Now, notice what the verse does not teach. It does not teach that all things are good. A lot of things are evil and wrong, and God hates them. But it does, think that it does teach that God can use, he can cause all things, even bad and evil, to work together for good. In other words, he can redeem evil and bring something good from it if we're willing to to walk with him through it. He's not saying all things are good. He's not saying that God causes all things. It doesn't say God causes all things. It says God causes all things to work together for good. That's different. Okay? The reason is God is not the author of sin, so he does not cause sinful, evil things to happen in our lives. Okay? He may allow them, but he's not the cause. What he is saying is that God's specialty is making great omelets out of broken eggs. Now picture that. You got a dozen eggs, you plan to have fried eggs, and that was the plan. Fried eggs, sunny side up, over easy, whatever you like, okay? The problem is you drop the egg and it's broken. The yolk is broken, and God says, you know something, don't give up on the egg. Let me me show you something you never had before. And God is great at taking broken eggs and making great omelets. But God specializes in that. He's also not saying that all things work together for your good, meaning your pleasure and health. He said it all works together for good. That includes your good, but also includes the good of God, the good of his kingdom, God's purposes. God can bring good from it. He's not saying all these things, God will work them together so that you feel good about them in the end. 
He's not teaching that. This is one of the most often misunderstood verses in the Bible. So we'll come back to this verse a little bit throughout the series off and on. But I want you to get the big idea. It begins with faith. It begins by having a a faith that even though there's a lot of mystery involved, my faith is this. My heavenly Father has promised to work all things together for good. And I trust Him. As we strengthen our faith, we manage pain better. Secondly, as we focus our hope, we manage pain better. I love verse 17 that preempted our passage when he says, if indeed we suffer with Christ, we'll also be glorified with Christ. Verse 18 is the better verse. For I consider the sufferings of this present life or time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be ours when it's revealed in us in Christ Jesus. In other words, oh my gosh, the glory of what Jesus is going to give us forever and ever for eternity is so incredible that whatever small pain God brings into our life for a few years, we should say, I trust you. I trust you with a little bit of pain now in light of all that you've promised me in my hope of eternity. We'll come back to that another week too. Faith, hope, what do you think the third one is? Yeah, good guess, love. See, these are biblical concepts. You see them in every passage. The love concept is a fervent love. We often look to the cross to know that you are loved. When you look to the cross you find out just how much God loves you. And that's what God does in this passage. Uh, He teaches us in verse 31. It's as if he almost guesses that we're going to doubt him. And he says this, What then shall we say to these things? This idea that God works all things together for good. Look, if God is for us, who can be against us? But then you say, but how do I know God's for me? Verse 32, For he did not even spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? In other words, when we look to the cross, we see the evidence for the love of God. When we look at our pain, we question the love of God. We doubt it. If you focus on the painful stuff in your life, you will eventually begin to doubt whether God loves you. And then you'll be unwilling to trust a God who doesn't love you. But if I focus on the cross and remember, wait a minute, the Father sacrificed the Son for me. He died for me. We'll come back to this again throughout the series. That is where God points us when we doubt. And all of us at times doubt. Look to the cross. Fervent love of God causes me to have a focused hope and a firm faith. That's the starting point for building a life that can deal with pain. Pray with me. Father, as as the band comes back up to lead us to respond to you with some worship, we stop, Father, to um, say, Lord, help us. Help us to better understand the truth about pain. Help us to better understand all that you've done to to give us the assurance of your love. Thank you for the cross. 
Thank you for the sacrifice of a father giving a son for my sins. Thank you for the ultimate example and proof that you do love me even when life hurts. So I thank you for it. Help me to keep my focus on it. Build my faith, focus my hope, strengthen my love for you. As we give now, Father, use these gifts to move your kingdom forward. We want to be generous because you're a generous God. In Christ's name, amen.